0: Hello, and welcome to Called to Queer, where we hold space for the queer Mormon woman, genderqueer, and intersex experiences. I'm Colette, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Kate, and my pronouns are she, they. Today, we are interviewing Maggie Slight, and we're so excited for this conversation. But before we jump into that, we wanted to start off by seeing what brought us Queer Joy this week. So, Kate, what brought you Queer Joy this week? Actually, this earlier today, I was out with some friends.
1: We were on the marina here on the Black Sea having lunch, and my friends were just talking about me, even though I was right there, and making sure to use the they, them pronouns. In fact, when I'm with these friends, they I only see them rarely. We only know each other from... Romania studies they are from the US but we are all studying in Romania and every time we meet up they they only use they them pronouns and it's so nice I don't have to feel like on edge it just feels comfortable and that uh, I can't even express how much gratitude I have to just feel comfortable in a conversation to not you know, not hearing those, those pronouns. Colette is really great with this. I love meeting with Colette too, but it's different when you're in a foreign country where you never hear that. And then you meet up with somebody and you, you hear it all the time. It was just very nice.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you have that. I know you and I have talked about it because people, when they have mixed pronouns, use them differently. But the way when you and I talk, you say, I, I prefer they. And so I, for me why wouldn't I use that for you? Why wouldn't I use they, them? So that's easy for me. And I'm so glad you have other friends there who are able to do that, especially in Romanian and other languages that don't really have that neutral pronoun. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Colette, what uh, brought
1: you queer joy this week?
0: Yeah. I met up with a friend the other day for brunch and it was just so happy. I've, I've known him peripherally. He's a cis gay man. And we've interacted on Instagram. We're finally like, hey, let's just get together. Let's talk. And he wanted to hear my story. And it was just so much queer joy over the course of the hour and a half or whatever we were at the restaurant of just talking about the joy of our experiences. Because again, so often we do focus on the hard parts of our journey. That's a lot of what we talk about here. But it was just so easy to talk to him And he was so celebratory of my story. And it just was so nice to have someone so interested and just so willing and willing to talk and just asking questions. And he was talking about how he just wants to have more queer joy in his life and talked about writing different queer uh, stories and things. And it was just really happy. So that made my week. (laughs) Love that.
1: I really appreciate that. And I like that that you get to have those conversations.
0: For sure. For sure. How about you, Maggie? What's brought you queer joy
2: this week? Well, as usual, it was TikTok.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yes. I, I, I just keep finding that the same people that I really admire, the older lesbians, the older mask lesbians are actually also seeming to pay attention to me too. And that Kind of makes me happy. That's
1: awesome.
2: <laughs> I, I I love that validation. It's like, oh, okay. So we I'm not just looking one way that, that that they're looking my way too. So
1: Oh my gosh. Cool. I I love that so much because I felt like that too, that like the people that I would have been attracted to or suddenly like they would be attracted to me too. It was like yeah. new and mind blowing to me. Yeah, totally, totally
2: awesome. Because I mean for so many years because of my background and and the way i look at things for so many years i have just defaulted to dating who is attracted to me not who i'm attracted to and i i'm finally comfortable in 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 myself enough to say no i won't do that anymore i will date who i want
1: yeah and
2: and and so it, it's it gives me all of the joy when who I am attracted to is actually also looking back at me.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think this is going to be so affirming for people.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a struggle we've never really talked about, but it's real, right? I think sometimes when we've hidden our queer identity, it can be easy to settle of, oh, well, they like me. So, okay, I guess this is it instead of really pursuing who you want. So that's awesome.
2: Well, it's it's something that I've referred to in the past as the pretty tax. I know mm. I am attractive. Unfortunately, I, I know that I'm attractive to heterosexual men. And mm. everybody else has been pretty quiet on towards me and The heterosexual men, I really don't want to hear from it anymore. I just don't.
0: (laughs) Sure. Sure. Understandably so. Well, Maggie, we're really excited to introduce our audience to you. Would you mind giving your overview of your queer Mormon story? And so we can start getting to know you a little bit. (laughs)
2: The overview of my queer Mormon story that that starts out as the overview as my queer story first, because I wasn't Mormon until nine years ago. I am 55 years old and I came out the first time I believe I was 15 years old. So that was about 40 years ago when I came to the realization that I needed to be baptized and become a member of the church. I got to the questions that I was given, got to that fourth question, that fourth part of that fourth question, and I went, huh, whoa, 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 wait, whoa, wait what? <laughs> Can you we...
0: tell people what that question is if they're yes, not familiar?
2: Question number four is in four parts, and it starts out with, have you ever committed a serious crime? It continues with, if so, are you on pr- now on probation or parole? The third part of the question is, have you ever participated in an abortion? The fourth part of that same question is, have you ever participated in a homosexual relationship? So in my neurodivergent brain, being very literal, I was saying, wait a minute, you're equating a serious crime, which to me is homicide or whatever, to these very loving relationships that I had with women and with intersex people. And I don't understand why you would do that. And I mentally broke during that week that I waited for that white card interview, because once I, once I answered in a way that the very, very young cis male Child that was across from me <laughs> asking the question. When I answered in a way that he was not expecting, all of a sudden it was, Oh, you, we need to do a white card interview. And what does white card interview mean? That means I have to interview with the mission president. But for me, what happened during that um, piece of time between those interviews, between the interview with the elders and the interview with the mission president, is because I have dissociative identity disorder, we created a new identity to fix this problem. Cognitive dissonance is not something that my system, my dissociative identity disorder system handles well. So we create an altar to handle that. And there was Sister Maggie. (laughs) There we are. I mean, there... All in all, through my almost nine years of membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, three different altars were created. The first one was created during that week of absolute utter trauma. I spent more time crying during that week than I know. And actually a week ago, I met with my therapist in in talking about these interviews and that it was going to bring up a lot of this. And during that week, I basically had a psychological break. In order to follow the feeling that I had to become a member of the church, which was, it was an answer to a prayer. It was a small, still voice that guided me in. But in order to follow that, I had to create a completely different personality. So... Wow. Thank you. That's... That's my queer mormon story. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There's so much there to unpack for listeners who aren't aware of these, the just basic vocabulary that you're using, but also just taking one minute to recognize how traumatic this whole experience and story is, not just the nine years, but the whole story. But can we start by talking about... DID, and can you give us kind of background about that?
2: Sure. I actually wasn't diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder until um, I was 48 years old, 49. So I was already a member of the church at that point. I'd been a member of the church for a couple of years. I had many misdiagnoses over the years. DID is what some people used to know as multiple personality disorder it comes from a basis of trauma the trauma leads to ptsd and in my case complex ptsd so because it's over and over and over again there are traumas that are repeated over and over again but when as as my first therapist de- described it did is a perfect storm of trauma and in in high, high intelligence and high creativity in the brain. And so the brain basically splits into sections that each hold whatever. Certain traumas are held by certain personalities, certain for me, I, I used to say when, when Apple came out with its commercial, there there's an app for that. I would always say, well, there's an alt for that. We we can we we have an alt for that. <laughs> and That's that awesome. really came out in my membership of the church because the the alt alt that was the altar that was producing Strangers No More was Sister Maggie. I also have an alter that was a member of a very right-wing hate group on Twitter that was, (laughs) I'm not even going to, I don't want to say her name publicly because I don't want anybody searching her out. (laughs) Because, you know, that was, it's very difficult for a convert who's coming in with dissociative identity disorder, because especially with, I'm also autistic, and so I look for very clear definitions of how I'm supposed to act and how I'm supposed to be, and I wasn't finding that in the Mormon community. I was finding, okay, you have this group over here. And you have this group over here and never the twain shall meet. And I I didn't understand that. It made no sense to me. So we created an altar for each.
0: (laughs)
1: Actually, what you're explaining, I think will make sense to a lot of members because we talk so much about cognitive dissonance. We understand this concept of not to this extent, right? But but we understand cognitive dissonance we understand that when you go to school you so for me this is, as a historian this showed up in a really interesting way i was going to school and in history classes and learning about the romans and then i was going to seminary and sunday school and learning about the bible and never in my mind Did the Romans cross over with those people that we talk about in the Bible? Like that's just specifically (laughs) for church and the Romans are specifically for, and this is embarrassing to admit as a historian, but, but I, but that happens. It was part of my Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance that we believe these things, this history and everything is completely separate from everything
2: that I'm learning in the real world, quote unquote, right? But unfortunately for me, what what it also ended up happening is, especially over these last five years, part of my dissociation included dissociating from all of my sexual attraction. I became completely asexual because I had no feeling basically in, in parts of my body because that's the only way that I could live as I was supposed to live was to completely cut off that part of me.
0: And I, I think that makes so much sense. I hate that it makes sense, but by putting yourself back in the closet, when you already experienced so much trauma growing up to lead to the DID and then to have the trauma of putting yourself back in the closet putting yourself in a box that you don't actually fit in. And to fit in that box, you have to cut off certain parts of yourself. And right. yours, it came off like more literally. I cut off this, my sexuality, and I developed this altar that wasn't a sexual person or my, you know, however you yep. describe it, whether it was the altar, whether it's your core self. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in order when this sort of things happens, dealing with their sexuality, they do have to cut off parts of themselves, maybe not to the extreme that you did. And so that's why I think your story is so fascinating that this is how you coped. And this is how, how people cope when you have to put them back in a traumatizing environment, they potentially just cut off pieces of themselves.
2: Well, it was really bizarre for me because I didn't even realize to the extent that I had done that until I literally submitted my resignation to the church and parts of my body began to feel again. And I'm like, what in the heck is that sensation? <laughs> I mean, I literally had chalked it up to age and disability. I mean, I, I, I use a power chair. I do have neuropathy in parts of my body. I just, okay, but we'll just chalk it up to age and disability. I did not chalk it up to to dissociation at all. I had no clue until I submitted my resignation to the church, until I did that formal act. And then I did a cord cutting ceremony following that up. And it was like strange things happened in my body and brain. I was like, oh, wow, I'm back okay, I can do this. And literally people um, on, on a Facebook group that I have for some very close friends, they said, oh, so, so you're back. I said, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> so almost nine years of my life, I was in the church, which isn't anything to most people who were raised in the church. I mean, so most people, it was like a year after they were baptized. <laughs> Or, or if you just take nine years and attach it to when they were baptized, they'd be in, in their late teens. So, you know that that's where I am. It's like, okay, I've I've just graduated se- seminary, and I went, okay, wait a second here, no, <laughs> and that's how I kind of feel.
0: I love how you've just been able to. Do what you need to do to be able to heal this aspect. I think a lot of people do cope with cognitive dissonance by dissociating in some way, maybe not to the extreme to have diagnosable DID. But I love that. I think your story shows how important it is to come home to yourself and to heal what you need to to
2: be whole. A lot of people in the post-mormon community use the expression, their shelf broke or putting things on the shelf. And I I had never heard, I mean, I had isolated myself so much during the nine years of being in the church. I had never heard that expression until after I was, after my shelf broke, after a couple of months after my shelf broke, actually. Yep. (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's a way to visually... And, and mentally, you know, look at, at cognitive dissonance in, in putting everything that just doesn't fit on that shelf. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did not realize just how heavy my shelf was until after it was broken. Yeah.
1: Great. Thank you. That is a great way to think about the shelf and um, cognitive dissonance, how those things line up. Um, I, if it's okay with everybody, want to go back to the point you kind of say in your, your story at the beginning, you said, yeah, I came out when I was 15. And then you go (laughs) on with your story. 15 that so for me, I came out, I came out for the first time, I think, let's say like 2005, which is pre prop eight. And the church was in a very different place at that point. And it's hard for me to like, see, um, you know, my experience is just different from other people's. I can't imagine when you're 15, how much things have changed since then. And what, what that experience is like.
2: Back <laughs> to where, where the world was when Maggie was 15. I was born in 1966. The world in 1983 was in the middle of the AIDS crisis. That's where the world was when Maggie was 15. I was actually dating an, an intersex man and who presented as completely as as male. He was 17. I was 15. You know, we looked like completely heterosexual couple. What? And my family was so confused when I came out as bi. And at the time, that's what I came out as. And it was like, why is she coming out as bi? She's dating thick and they're great and whatever. <laughs> so nobody understood at that point in time in, in, in my life. Although I was at the time dating women at the same time I was dating Vic it was you know it was the 80s <laughs> <laughs> it was the early 80s I wasn't the only one it was an exploratory time it was a, can we say that very, very exploratory time <laughs> but My teenage years and my early 20s, I I dated women. I dated men. I dated intersex people. I ended up marrying a man. And the question I asked him before he married me, I said, well, you know that I'm bi. You know that there are things that you just can't fulfill. And he, at that point in time, as we went into a marriage, a marriage that actually ended up lasting over 21 years, he knew that it was not going to be monogamous. And it never was. I had many relationships with many women at the same time that I was married to him. We fronted as as a heterosexual couple, but that's not what we were. And most of our close friends and family knew that. Our our children definitely knew that. Do you identify as Polly? No, I don't. I it's it's an awkward situation being a DID system. Mm -hmm. My brain does not identify as Polly, but that doesn't mean that my body isn't Mm (laughs) Polly. Because different alters have different relationships with different people. I think
1: I think it's a really interesting point to bring up that people are what they identify as, right? It's important to oh, yeah. listen to what people identify as and and their reasoning why. And if they don't have reasonings why, that doesn't. They don't need to tell you anything. That's just how they identify.
2: Well, also in, in being a DID system, it's very unique because I literally have different personalities who front in my body. And it's as <laughs> I, I've described it before as uh time sharing a body mm-hmm. with different people. <laughs> it's like, we, we just time share this body. It's just like, we only get it for a certain amount of time before we have to pass it on to somebody else.
0: So mm-hmm.
2: In that way, you know, somebody from on the outside may think that I'm having a relationship with two or three people, but it's the body is, yeah, different personalities are using the body that are having the relationships. Yeah. But I never understood that when it was happening in my 20s and 30s, although probably my ex-husband did, but I don't know, he's, he's passed the veil long time ago so we never talked about that <laughs> hmm.
1: so you came out at 15 and and years later you convert to mormonism and you have that <laughs> traumatic experience at 46, you to... at,
2: yeah at age 46 i converted to mormonism so 40
1: at age 46 you convert to mormonism and then you have this experience where you have to get special permission and then you go back in the closet. So you just never identified as queer during those nine years or
2: did you? No. In 2019, 20, yeah, 2018 or 2019, I actually wrote an essay, I wrote an article and I came out publicly as, as queer and as asexual at that point. With, with, with a long queer resume. <laughs> I love that.
1: Um, oh my gosh, a long queer resume.
2: <laughs> so I, it's, 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 that's how I came out, but I wasn't ready to date at that time. And the only person I dated as, as a Mormon was a heterosexual man who actually had a lot of hate in his heart for queer people. And once I really learned that, I said goodbye. Yeah. So um, I, I wasn't able to date as a queer Mormon person. I, I just, I couldn't, as I'm deconstructing, I'm realizing for myself that it was that I didn't want to add any more trauma to another person. And I'm seeing so much of the trauma that queer Mormons go through. And the last thing I wanted to do was to date somebody who is outside the church and bring that experience to them. Just, queer people don't need any more trauma. Absolutely. <laughs> Most of us have had plenty. <laughs> and I don't want to add to their trauma. And and, and I'm just just been deconstructing uh, that in my leaving the church that is definitely one of the reasons that i have felt an impetus to put myself on the market and to start dating at this point in time whereas i wouldn't before ever Mm -hmm. at all so we're excited for you by the way I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to become the person that I want to be that. That's I mean, cool. I'm, I'm finishing my book. I'm finishing the car that ran on prayers. I, I just edited like seven chapters. What was it, day before yesterday? It was exhausting, but I'm up to like uh, chapter 12 in editing. And then it's going through the hard rewrite because I'm able to put more of myself into my book it was edited in a fashion for my previous would-be agent a person who said that they were my agent <laughs> so it w- it was edited very much for the mormon missionary type experience mm-hmm. and i'm taking all of that editing out and re-editing it and adding in the parts that were taken out by that person Like, for instance, my medical cannabis use and the fact that I was a lead writer for a medical cannabis magazine. So, and that was a prominent part of my story that was, that was removed. (laughs) Sanitized,
1: right? Censored, sanitized for an audience. I'm going to
2: actually use the word whitewashed because it was. And I... You know, I now I'm undoing that. I'm 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 putting the color back into it. <laughs> good. <sighs> especially the color green. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the medical cam-
1: canvas yeah. might be a good segue to talk about disability more generally and neurodivergence and how those things are separate from one another and how you experience both. Is that too broad a question?
2: (laughs) Well, I have a disorder, a a genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And it is very common, as as I have found in the community, that it co-occurs with autism spectrum disorder and and obsessive compulsive disorder and sensory processing disorder. And sometimes dissociative identity disorder. Those those disorders are all parts of neurodivergency. So those are how the my disabilities work in my brain. How they work in my body is with the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, it's a connective tissue disorder. And on top of that, I was given an antibiotic called Leviquin, which caused me to have diffuse tendinopathy throughout my body. It changes the DNA construct of the uh, tendons hmm. in, in the connective tissue. So it actually it, it combines with the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome to it just makes everything a little bit worse <laughs> and easier easier damaged. I had a tendon just rip while I was walking and that that just out, out of nowhere just, I, I, didn't step on anything. I didn't fall. I didn't trip. Uh, and gosh. so, to avoid those things from happening and avoid my knees from randomly going out while I'm just walking across the, the floor, I use a power chair. So, and I actually just got a this wonderful set of KFO's uh, knee, ankle, foot orthotics. Uh, they're, um, they're these just really intense knee braces and they're hopefully going to help me to walk and keep my knees from going out. So
1: I was so excited when you sent that picture to me <laughs> that, yeah, I'm so excited for you to,
2: to get those. It It, it is exciting. I mean, I, I've been using power chairs for now three years and I'm ready to, to start healing and start walking and, it's it's hard because as as a person, my body image has changed quite a bit. Uh, being disabled and dealing with body image is is difficult because I was a skinny child. I was so skinny, I was made fun of, and I was a very slender young adult. And then when you sit down, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden. Um, the normal tasks that you would do that work off calories and work our bodies in ways that you don't collect fat in your middle, you're not doing them anymore. And so it's extremely common to get a lot larger when you sit down, when when, when you become disabled and start using a um, mobility device that sits you in a sitting position constantly. So I've been dealing with that and dealing with a lot of the how do I love all of this body? (laughs) Because there's a lot more of it.
1: (laughs) Do you have some advice for
2: folks who for other folks who are going through this and feeling that? I, I don't have any more advice other than what I've done, which is Get to know it. Get to know your body. Dance with it. Move with it. I was hoping you would say
1: dance because I know that you've been dancing. That was a leading question. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
2: Yeah, dance with it, move with it, and and share Mm -hmm. that with people who you trust. I happen to be a very exhibitionistic person. I was an exhibitionist when I was younger. I worked as a stripper. Um, But it's it's been difficult but yeah I've put out a couple of dances on TikTok and stuff and I've kind of let my my group into what I'm doing with learning to love all of this body but you know it's 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 a process it's to, I'm 55 years old I'm I'm an old woman it's my your body changes so much throughout your life oldest I mean, relative you've, You two, you two are at, at the absolute ages where I was at maybe at what I felt in retrospect was my peak, but yet what am I going to think in 20 years was my Mm -hmm. peak? (laughs) So we, we don't know. We're constantly changing. That's what life is. And it's kind of exciting. I mean, looking at it from the Crohn's point of view, it's, it's, it's exciting because I, I look back and I, I see all of my grandchildren. I have six grandkids and, you know, that range in age from uh, one year to uh, 15 years old. And it is exciting to see where they are and where they've been and where they're going. And when you are a grandparent, you can do that. You you have that perspective. And I'm excited to see I'm hoping that I will be able to have the perspective of my of my mother and that great grandparent. Thank you for saying all that and pointing all
1: of it out. But also I we're going to have listeners who are may not recognize that coming out is a experience, like you said, that you have over your lifetime, many, many different times. It isn't a one-time thing. And also that you can come out and be experiencing new and exciting adolescence, as we all do every time we come out. Um At any point, it doesn't matter your age. You get to experience that.
2: Oh, absolutely. And it's especially fun with the different, you know, the different softwares. I've been on social media since back in the bulletin board days. I mean, I literally (laughs) ran a Fidonet node. (laughs) I ran ran a bulletin board service. (laughs) Way back in the 90s. So I've been in social media in one way or another since then. So now having a TikTok that has over uh, 19,000 followers is just another form of that same thing that I've constantly been reaching out socially through a virtual audience. Because Mm -hmm. frankly, with my autism, I like to be alone ninety percent of the time and I want social life on my terms and that's yeah. usually virtually. <laughs> yeah.
1: Statistically, now that you've we've brought this up statistically there are many queer folks who who are also neurodivergent, and there are many TikTokers, in fact, who are talking about these the relationship between those things. And I know we're gonna have listeners who um,
2: experience.
1: Neurodivergence and queerness together, and are trying to kind of parse those things out.
2: Well, and actually, strangely enough, today I just uh, did a TikTok about these interviews, and I have just uh, steered a few people your way. Thank (laughs) you. um, And and my audience is is queer neurodivergent TikTok, and well, with a bit of trauma talk thrown in there. Um, But. There is a huge intersectionality. And like I was saying before with the EDS and the neurodivergence, it, you know, if your brain is bendy, wouldn't your sexuality be bendy? Wouldn't mm-hmm. your gender be bendy sometimes? I mean, if it's fluid, it's fluid. Yeah. If it's a spectrum, it's a spectrum. This is what I'm I'm learning and loving from
1: these TikTokers TikTokers. <laughs> I'm learning a lot and thinking through a lot about fluidity and about how certain societal pressures might not might in fact evade neurodivergence which leaves way more room for queerness to cultivate and grow and not that it's not equally pushed back on, but that we can learn how you all feel, those things intersect in fluidity. And I think it gives us a lot more room to talk about fluidity and think about fluidity, sexual fluidity, gender fluidity, romantic fluidity. Those are all different things, right? That this community on
2: social media, at least, is talking a lot about. Right. Right. And another side of that, unfortunately, when we're talking about all of this fluidity, the other side of that with the OCD and the scrupulosity. Mm -hmm. Now, here's an interesting thing. As a grandmother, I have had the opportunity to walk into several, several, several primary classrooms. And something that I've noticed that is shocking to me as I realized my own neurodiversity was the ratio of apparently neurodivergent divergent children which tells me that the ratio of neurodivergent adults is so much higher in the churches than it is in the, like the public schools so as a person who deals with scrupulosity and knows and has learned in my deconstructing that the mormon church is one of the absolute easiest draws for somebody with scrupulosity because everything's laid out. I mean, the, exactly how you're not supposed to go to hell is laid out with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And those things are, are not only drilled into you on a constant basis with 10 hours uh, every six months of talks, it's, you are told the answer to everything is to pray more and to fast and to read more scriptures. Well, that's scrupulosity in a handbook. And that's what a lot of people with scrupulosity and a lot of people who are neurodivergent deal with. So how many people who are neurodivergent have, has the church actually exploited in its conversion? that's point. That's, that's a point I hadn't thought about. It's a good one to think on it it, it concerns me as a neurodivergent person who suffers with scrupulosity
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's it, it just you know the the in, invasive thoughts of scrupulosity the constant feeling that if i don't if I don't pray enough if I don't. Read enough scriptures. If I don't, if I'm not a missionary enough, am I? If I'm, I, I'll, I'll go right out there and say that producing strangers no more was part of my scrupulosity. Hmm. It was part of being a member missionary to people who I was afraid, who were were at risk for becoming suicidal because they were queer Mormon. I, I, need, I felt this need to reach out to to anybody that was feeling the same kind of feeling, you know, and, and was feeling that that pressure of celestial conversion therapy, if you will, the idea that, oh, if it, once we die, we're all white and hetero. No, no, we're not. We retain our identity.
1: And that's such an important point, I think, when we're talking about not we're talking about queerness and we're also talking about disability and neurodivergence, because those are the ways right now, I think, that are st- that are most what we've talked about, Colette and I have talked with Blair Osler about as celestial genocide and the queerness. I loved your
2: interview with Blair, by the way. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> But the queerness is getting talked about more and more. But I don't think that disability celestial genocide is being talked about nearly enough and about how folks are just told, oh, it's gonna be fixed in the next life. That's something that we really it's
2: it's a move especially. I believe wholeheartedly that the disability of neurotypicalism will be (laughs) fixed on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I and Maybe I'm looking in the wrong spots, but I've listened to um, your interviews. I've listened to Holy Human. And I just, I'm not seeing that same sort of conversation
2: translating from queerness to disability. I, I, I don't think that, that it has translated. And I really don't think a lot of people are talking about that. But again it all goes back to we're taught in the church we are taught constantly to that it is our responsibility to receive and seek and receive revelation for ourselves but nowhere are we taught to respect one another's revelations absolutely And that's, that is a key part. You can't have, you can't say that you're, you have this responsibility without also saying, I'm going to respect your personal revelation. That it's, it's a key. It has to be together. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And my personal revelation about being disabled, physically disabled is that I will have all of the qualities of, of me in the afterlife, without any of the pain, mm-hmm. and what that means to me physically and mentally and and, and whatever but but I and I truly do and and I've said this in a joking manner, but I truly believe that the the, the thought processes of God, of a supreme being. Are in no way close to the thought processes of, of a neurotypical person, but far closer to the thought processes of a neurodivergent person. Oh, and I stick yeah. to that
1: one. Oh my goodness, that is powerful. <laughs> that is a really powerful statement. Um, and I hope that people I hope, hope that people listen to that and, and take that to heart. Do you think you can repeat it?
2: God is, does not think in a neurotypical manner. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that God has a neurotypical thought processes. I believe that the thought processes of a God are in neurodivergent. Okay. okay.
1: I I just want people God is to look that for a minute.
2: <laughs> and y'all that are neurotypical, yo, that's the disorder. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get over that in the afterlife. <laughs> And and, and and I tease about that, but I haven't had an autistic person that hasn't agreed with me on that
1: matter. Well, I I really I really hope that folks who listen to that episode with Blair or have read Blair's book and are thinking through celestial genocide, don't limit that to just, you know what's happened with race in the past or what's happened with queer folks, but move on to now thinking about how that impacts folks with disability and variety well, so of disability or neurodivergence.
2: Here's an interesting part of my, my genetic difference, my genetic syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. We are hypermobile. We are some of the most elegant dancers and, and beautiful contortionists in the world. And then we get injured. And we, as, as many doctors even will ask us to do party tricks to show, to get diagnosed, but it's those party tricks done over a series of a lifetime that creates injuries. And then it's things like other chemicals that interact with our differences in um, our collagen makeup and our differences in our connective tissue makeup, like mine was my, my antibiotic that, that injured me, that, create again injuries and create pain but if you just take the the bendy floppy kid that can move and can dance Mm -hmm. you take that person without any of the injuries without any of the pain that's who i believe the soul on the other side represents is that one Take all the features without the injuries, without the pain, hmm. but the features, if that makes any sense. It does. <laughs> it
1: does make sense. I'm just sitting with it. This Without, with, like,
2: without, oh, because it's, it's the interaction with this world that creates disability. Thank it's, you.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's the interaction with the ableds that creates disabled. So, so I've been thinking
1: a lot about this. This is this is a topic that's really become something of a of a big topic for me. I've read a, um, a lot more about disability studies and disability theology. There's a whole branch of disability theology that I've been diving into, and part of that is is talking about how do you talk about Jesus or Christ, however you view that person, or however you view the Bible as a healer of disability and disability studies and disability theology are really giving some unique, cool, great answers to that, to that question. And part of what I see is exactly what you're saying, that that in a Roman world <laughs> 2,000 years ago, now that I understand that the Romans and, the, and Jesus are the same, doing the same thing, in the Roman world, accessibility is not the same that it is today. And having four people carry one person to lower him down through the roof, right? That is not the same system that we exist in, in today. It's all right. about the interacting with the outside world. Absolutely. I want to shout out. I want to give a shout out really quick to Holy Human and the work that Holy Human is doing. Uh, You can find them on, on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Maggie's episode just came out last week, I think. And well, last week when we're recording this and
2: um, you have another episode coming up. Is that right? I do. I actually just recorded the answer um, the follow-up episode with them I just recorded that with them Saturday so that's what my my uh, my post on Neurodivergent Granny over on TikTok was I'm sorry I haven't been on TikTok I have been interviewing with podcasts
1: <laughs> one <laughs> and right and after
2: another <laughs> it, it's a thing though it's it's a lot of energy devoted towards uh, FaceTime towards people and towards trying to make sure the right message is out there, and that's a lot of what I do on my TikToks. So if I put out that energy towards one place, I really don't have a lot of it to put in another direction. So, do
1: you want to give us your TikTok info here too, and we'll put it yeah. also
2: in the bio? My TikTok handle is uh, Neurodivergent Granny. So you can also look under Maggie Slight. It's, it's okay. searchable under Maggie's slide. Is
0: there anything else you wish we had been asking you or
2: talking about in this interview, <laughs> Maggie? Well, um, I guess at this point in time, I, it's it's odd for me to be doing publicity. And, and I've mentioned that a, a little bit to, to my followers on TikTok and on other social media because I don't currently have a, a book to sell. But I do. I am looking for a new literary agent and my book is almost ready to query. So (laughs) look for the car that ran on prayers and that's, it's, it's exciting. That is exciting. There were publishing houses looking at it when it was a couple of edits ago. So I'm hoping that publishing houses and a literary agent will look at it now. (laughs) Great. Yeah.
1: We will promote that.
0: Well, we just so appreciate you coming. I know this can be a drain for sure doing interviews. So appreciate you giving us and our audience your time and energy to be able to share your story that I think you bring up a lot to think about and I think will widen a lot of people's perspectives. So thank you so much.
1: And definitely well, yeah. also valid, validate a lot of people's experiences too. hmm
2: you're welcome. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come out here and to do these interviews. We will um we will end we'll put the the title of the book in the bio as well.
0: Thanks for listening. We appreciate you joining us today. If you're liking these episodes, we'd love it if you'd rate and review call to queer on the podcast player of your choice so that other people are more likely to find us. We'd also love it if you'd share our podcast with a friend who could benefit from hearing these stories. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at hello at called to You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at called to Queer. See you next time.